0: Uh, We're in our preaching series on Philippians. Uh, Let me just pray for us before we start. Lord God, it's uh, our pleasure, Lord, and our joy and our privilege, Lord, to be in your presence. And, Lord, it's our joy to have your word available to us, Lord. We thank you that you've given this to us, Lord, and and that in, in, in your word, Lord, there's everything we need. Everything we need for life and godliness, Lord. We thank you for what it means to us, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom in your word. And I pray this morning, Lord, you'll just speak to us afresh. Lord, you'll challenge us where we need challenging, Lord. You'll encourage us where we need encouraging. Lord, and you just bless us this morning as as I speak. Lord, I pray you'll speak through me this morning. In your mighty name. Amen. Okay. So we're in this book, Philippians. It's uh, a letter written by Paul, a guy who is an apostle, someone who uh, planted some of the earliest churches. Uh, he uh, he planted the church in Philippi, and this is him writing back to that church in Philippi a few years later. He's writing from prison, we believe, or at least at least house arrest in Rome. But actually, he's writing to the church in a pretty good situation. So, in some of his other letters that we studied, remember, he's written to the Corinthians and Galatians. I mean, and he was writing to address some quite serious errors and some problems in those churches. But here, to the Philippians, he's writing on, on pretty good terms. He's, he's giving them encouragement, saying, look, you're doing great. Keep going. Don't worry about me in prison. Keep contending for the gospel. Keep fighting for the good news of Jesus. And, it, and it's a lots, a lots of encouragement in there. We're going to read the passage together today. We're in chapter 2. Uh, and it's verses 12 to 18. It's up on the screen if you need it. Or you can follow it in your own Bibles if you'd like to. Let me just read it to you. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing pause there. (laughs) So that you may become blameless and pure. I just felt like I nearly needed to let that sink in for myself there. Um, We'll come back to it. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So in the last couple of weeks, we've heard from uh, from Tor, Toria and Matt about some of the, the big things that Paul calls the Philippians to do and to be like and you could say they've been kind of words of wisdom words of encouragement words of motivation and I don't know about you I find these things all over the internet there's just all these amazing sayings and phrases that you're supposed to take on almost like mantras for your life things to remember things to, that are useful to to keep saying to yourself to, to do well in life my favorite is this one uh, three short sentences which should get you through almost any situation in life this is this is this is what I use the first one is this cover for me Second one is this, good idea, boss. And the third one is this, it was like that when I got here. I promise you, those three sentences will get you through almost any situation. Chris is like, I just thought you had been really encouraging when you said good idea, boss. Um, Chris does have some good ideas. But, you know, Paul's quotes, the, the, the quotes we've been looking at from Paul, they're not just pithy, inspirational quotes. They're not just things that you put on a, on a coaster or a mug. We, we've called them, Matt's called them, Createments. So they're statements that create something in us. They actually they birth something in us. They they change something in us as they as they challenge us and, and, and speak to who we are and what we're to be like. Now actually what we've what we've what we've witnessed in Paul's createments is that they're far from easy. In fact, it's pretty much impossible to achieve these. In, our, in and of ourselves 100% of the time so we looked at um, chapter 1 verse 27 conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ it's a great encouragement but wow that's, that's pretty hard to do all of the time isn't it we, we had Matt a couple of it was it last week uh, chapter 2 verse 3 do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit again that's a really powerful statement that we want to live out but man it's hard uh, we also had this, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, really helpful, wise, challenging statement, but again, it's not that easy to do. And then again, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I can't help thinking that these are very lofty goals indeed. And, you know, Paul actually goes on in that passage, uh, in verses 1 to 11, to explain exactly what he means by the mindset of Christ, the mindset of Jesus. Essentially, Jesus' mindset was to love humanity so much that he gave up everything he had. And he had everything to become human himself and then to experience the brutal torture of being executed for crimes he never committed That was the mindset of Jesus, to give everything up. And why did he do that? Well, to enable, as we've heard this morning, a broken world to have the opportunity of being united with our Father God. Just to state the obvious, isn't Jesus flipping incredible? (laughs) I mean, if you're a Christian here this morning, just take a moment again to recognise what he has done for you. There's an author called Milton Vincent, uh, those of you on the Academy will know that I've pinched this straight from Academy last week, but he's written a book called The Gospel Primer, and he basically wanted to just keep reminding himself of the truth of the gospel, so he, wrote, he kind of distilled it into into a really helpful <laughs> short, like the whole of New Testament scripture, the whole of the Bible into a really short primer that he could just recount to himself every day, and it says this, is just just a small quote from it: God loved me so much that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son, and even more amazingly, he was willing to allow his son to suffer the loss of him at the cross. Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. Just let that sink in again. No one, not, no boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or child or father or mother, no one in this world is ever going to love you better or more than Jesus. In fact, if you don't know Jesus here this morning, please, please let that sink in. God did this. He sent his son, Jesus, out of love for you. Our lives on earth are temporary, but we believe there's an eternity to think about with a God who will judge us and will determine how we spend that eternity. And the Bible tells us, accepting that, that sacrifice of Jesus, Responding to his love by loving him is the only way of assuring that we get to spend that eternity with God. So this Jesus, who loves us, loves me, loves you unconditionally and died for me, Paul says, be like him. Simple as that. I mean, it's a great encouragement, but flipping heck. <laughs> I struggle to share my last rollo, okay? <laughs> so to put everyone above me. To put everyone everyone else above me and be really selfish and like Jesus, it's a big ask. You know, I, I kind of look and I think, I just, I can't do this. I hope today's passage is going to give us a bit more hope <laughs> and a bit more understanding of how actually Paul can make this challenge to us and, and that it's not just going to be a complete fall on its face fail. He's going to dive in and examine it together. We're going to look at actually what I'm going to call two createments today. So the first one <clears throat> is in uh, is verses 12 to 13. So the first statement is this, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul encourages us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I think it's really, really important to understand the language here. Because some people have misinterpreted this to, to think that actually we have to achieve our salvation. We have to work for our salvation. That we can somehow earn our way into eternal life with God by doing good things. And that we should live in fear and trembling of getting that wrong. And that is absolutely not what Paul is saying here. Just to be clear. In fact he's very clear elsewhere in his writing. In, in Ephesians 2 verses 8-9 he says this. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. So we know he's not saying here. That there's something we can do to earn our salvation. We know we need saving from our sin. We know there are things that we do to fall short of God's perfect standards, but we can't do that ourselves. That's why God sent Jesus. So what does Paul mean here when he tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, the first thing is this. Note the word out. It's not work for. It's work out. The Greek word is, uh, as you all know, katagazomai uh, Um Which, it's not a word about earning or winning. It's about doing, actually. It's about executing, practicing. Paul isn't saying, earn your salvation. He's saying, live your salvation. If you've been saved, if you've been given a relationship with him, then don't just sit there and enjoy it. Do something with it. Exercise your salvation. Show that salvation to the world around you that needs to know about Jesus. It's not do good things so you can be saved. It's you're saved. Now go and change the world. Now work it out. Does that make sense? And then the fear and trembling a bit. Again, people have misinterpreted this to think we need to be petrified of losing our salvation. If we don't get this right, it could all go wrong. We could lose it. God's going to stop loving me. But again, we know from the Bible. We know from even what Paul says elsewhere. That's not going to be the case. And Romans 8 is your classic text for that. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can stop him from loving us. We can't lose what what he's given us. So the fear and trembling is about the sense of awe and wonder that we should have. That the God of the universe has done such incredible things for us. It should shake us to our very core. That the God who flung stars into space and created life itself would care so much for us that he'd send his only son to die for us. Paul is saying here, you've had something incredible done for you. It should change your life. You're safe. You're confident that you will enjoy eternal life. So now live that life in the most Jesus-honoring way that you can. Put your salvation into practice by imitating Jesus, by being humble like him, by loving others like him, by sacrificing yourself like him and live in awe of him. Still feels like a quite big ask, doesn't it? Well, the key to this is, is, is the verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Or as it says on the screen, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He makes this big ask of us, be like Jesus, be humble like him, But then he also says, I'm going to help you to do that. I'm giving you my presence. I'm putting my spirit in you to help you to do that. You can't do it on your own. But if I work in you and through you, it's possible. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as the helper, doesn't he? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us. He helps us to know God better. He helps us to relate to him better. He helps us to live the way God wants us to live. And actually, there's two different things that happen when we're saved, or that happen in the Christian life. We, we talked about justification and sanctification. Justification, the moment we are saved, we are fully saved. It, it's a legal term that we are justified. We're declared right. We're declared just. So we're no longer considered guilty by God. The moment we are saved, the moment we accept Jesus as the king of our life, you go from 0% justified to 100% justified. Journey done. You're done. But there's another process. Because sanctification, and that's not an instant thing, the day you're saved you don't instantly become as holy as Jesus, you don't instantly become this perfect all singing all dancing, no problems in your life person, sanctification takes place over the journey of life and that's what Paul is talking about here, that sanctification journey, it's done through his spirit, by his presence, working in our life day by day, year by year and growing to be more like Jesus. Again, we we flip back to uh, the first chapter of Philippians, chapter one, verse six. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You get that? He began that good work in you and he's going to carry it on. The work of justification of being declared just is finished. But the work of sanctification has begun and will carry on. And we do that as we live out our salvation, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So that's the first createment. Having been saved, live your life in a way that reflects the incredible thing that God has done in your life. But God will help you to do that by the power of his Holy Spirit living in you. So the second one is this. The second createment we're going to look at today is in verse 15. Shine among them like stars in the sky. Now I'm a, a city boy at heart. I've only ever lived in cities, i lived in Liverpool, I've lived in Leeds, and I love, it. I love being in cities. I love the convenience, I love the buzz, I love the people, I love all the restaurants and all the different things you can do and see in a city. But I do love to holiday in rural places. There's times when I just want to get away from the buzz and the noise, and get out into nature and look at the rolling hills and the beautiful lakes and the seas, and just taste that fresh air. Um, it's always important whenever I'm getting ready for that, whenever I'm looking at where I'm going to stay, you can't take the, the, the city out of the boy. I always need to know there's Wi-Fi where I'm going. Obviously, that's a key consideration. But generally, I just, there's just something about being away and being out in, in, the, in the rural areas. And what, what I particularly love is the night sky. When you go out of the city and you look up on a clear night and you just suddenly see this canopy Blanket as far as the eye can see of stars, which you don't get in the city because of the light pollution, and it just fills me with wonder. It's hard not to look at it and just be filled with thoughts about our existence. Our thoughts tend to God, to creation, to the Bible, knowing that those stars are not there by accident, God Himself placed them there. All hundred billion, trillion of them that we know about. I remember one night being on a holiday in Wales and just looking up. Open mouthed at the stars for hours. And as I looked, I couldn't help but wonder where the sun had gone. And then it dawned on me. You're slow this morning. <laughs> Tell you what. At least you didn't boo this week. <laughs> I think it's really fast. Sorry about that. That was awful. I know that was, I, even I know that was a bad joke. Um, it's really fascinating though that Paul uses this image of stars. There's three things, just three things I want to pull out of, uh, of what he says here so the first thing is this is that stars shine and stand out in the dark now Paul chooses this image I think as a challenge against the dark night sky the stars especially if you're somewhere where there isn't light pollution are obvious you'd be hard pressed to look up at the sky on a clear night and and not notice the stars but is that true of our lives as Christians I want to think about the the people in your life who, who don't know Jesus your work colleagues, your neighbours, your friends, your family who don't know him, is it obvious to them that you're a Christian? Do they know about your faith? Would they, would they identify you as someone who, oh I know that person's a Christian actually, I know there's someone who loves God and goes to church and, and, and is it, part of that family. I think Paul is encouraging boldness here. It should be obvious to the world what we are by the way we act the way we talk the way we engage with people we're to be visible we're to shine in this earth he's absolutely here building on the word of Jesus himself and he says in Matthew 5 you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people put a lamp light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put the lamp on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house so in the same way Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to shine. We're to be obvious. We're not to be hidden. And it shouldn't be that hard, actually, to stand out as a Christian in the world, because the world is a dark place. We have a very dark sky to shine in. And just as when we look at the stars, we find ourselves provoked and we start thinking about the big questions, about God, about creation, about the universe, I believe people should look at our lives and ask us ask big questions too. What is it about that person? Who is this God that they believe in? Why is it they act differently? What is this joy that they have that I don't have? It should be obvious. Paul calls us not to blend in and keep our heads down. He calls us to shine brightly, to show the world who we are and who we follow. As we work out our salvation, it should be obvious. And that's a that's just a little challenge to, lead, to, to give you this morning. Who would pick you out of a lineup and say, "Yeah, I know that—I know they're a Christian." Who would—who would identify that in you? The second thing about stars is this: they shine with beauty. We're not just called to shine brightly; we're called to shine with beauty in a world that is ugly. Paul describes uh, in the passage uh, that they were living in, a, in a, what he, saw, he calls a, a warped and crooked generation. That's 2,000 years ago he's talking. I mean, we, we think of our generation often, don't we, as warped and crooked. I and mean, we sometimes I think we must be, you know, the world's just gone to part with the first ones who are having these problems of living in this way. But no, it's a problem that's 2,000 years old. Paul and his people were living in a warped and crooked generation. And you know what? When Paul says those words, he's quoting the book of Deuteronomy, written even hundreds of years before, which also describes that generation as warped and crooked. It's not a new problem of being Christians and being living in a warped and crooked generation and needing to show that generation the beauty of God. A godless world needs godly people to shine their light for good. What does that look like? Well, verse 14. Paul keeps it pretty simple. It's the verse that I paused at before. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Essentially, the way that we go about our lives, not grumbling, and the way we interact with each other, not arguing, (coughs) should speak a lot to society about what makes us tick. These things tie in absolutely to what Paul said earlier about Jesus' example, that if we act with humility and we value others above ourselves, then grumbling and arguing shouldn't be part of, of what we see in our daily life, and that should stand out to people. And that goes from the minute and trivial things to the big and powerful things, that our words and our actions to each other as we interact should speak volumes about the power of God in our lives. So many of the problems of this world, of this crooked and uh, warped generation. So many of these problems stem from self-serving, from greed, and from the desire to elevate ourselves above everyone else, whatever it costs. But our calling as Christians is to follow the example of Christ and to show that beautifully to the world. It sounds really obvious, but I think as Christians and as, as the church sometimes, we can get this really badly wrong. If you think about where you see Christianity in the news, where you see Christianity in the public sphere these days, I often think we're just, it's just not portrayed in a positive way. Sometimes that's unfair and it's harsh on us. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. What do you, what do you send to see stories about in, in the news at the moment? It's, when, you, when you see stories of Christianity, it's what does this Christian think about homosexuality? What's our opinion on that and, and why do we think all these people are going to hell? And, uh, it's theological arguments, or it's pastors falling down and being criticized by other pastors for, for falling down and, and messing their lives up. Or it's, it's just a negative attitude to church. And what we see in the media is often, we don't see the church as this beacon of light and hope often enough. We see it as a place that's judgmental, that's not welcoming, that's shutting people out, that's, that's falling out with itself, that's throwing people under the bus. It's not a great picture a lot of the time it seems obvious don't grumble don't argue and yet we just get it wrong on a massive scale and yet there's so much to be positive about I saw statistics there I'm afraid I didn't manage to get hold of them but there's some statistics about just the the huge impact in Britain of the church in terms of the charitable sector and and the work that's done the the number of food banks the number of kids clubs the number of um, youth ministry all that sort of stuff and the charitable work The church, the body of Christ, accounts for way over half of that activity in the whole of the UK. Way over half. That should be the story. That's the shining beacon of light in a warped and crooked generation, and yet it gets filtered out by arguments over whatever. As we think about grumbling, I think about how we serve, even even here on a Sunday morning. Do we do it cheerfully? What do we do grudgingly? What do we communicate to the people around us by how we serve and our attitude towards church and, and what you tell people about what you're doing at the weekend? They say, oh, actually, it's great. I'm going to go to church or something. I'm going to be with my family. Or is it, "Oh, I've got to get up really early on Sunday morning. I've got to go and push a trolley around and um, put some drinks out and it's going to be a bit of a pain. I would rather be in bed, to be honest. <laughs> actually, it communicates something. It communicates something to the world. And I was, I was there this week just thinking about the Levites Back in the Old Testament, you know, serving in the house of God, serving in God's presence, was, was not a right in, the old, in that time. It was a privilege restricted to a chosen few, actually by birth. It was the tribe of Levi who got to serve, who were able to go into the tabernacle and, and minister and, and carry out the priestly uh, ordinances in, in the Old Testament. They were the ones who got to serve. And now it's open. We get to serve. We get to do something in the house of God. We get to, to live out the gospel of Jesus. We get to contribute. God allows us to step into this into this family and to have a role. We get to do it. That's, that should be our attitude. Not, oh, I'm on that road to this week wish I wasn't, I would much rather, oh, I've got to get to church at that time. That's so frustrating. And yeah, of course, there's, there's times when it's difficult, but actually our attitude, Paul is saying here, it's not grumbling. It's a privilege. It's a joy. And I, I speak to myself here, because I know there's times where I can't push a trolley from one end to the other without getting frustrated. <laughs> you know, there are times when I, I, I feel this grumbling rising in me. I just think it's a challenge from Paul, actually, no, don't grumble. This is a privilege. You've got an opportunity to serve in the kingdom of God. It's a privilege. It's an honour. Jesus modelled this to us so well. He modelled this love and this kindness. He took joy in what he did. And what is set before him to do. Even the tough bits. Even the hardest bits. The dying on the cross bits. He did it faithfully and willingly. And he took joy in making himself humble and serving others. I know it's hard sometimes to look after someone's kids for an hour or to mop up a spilled coffee or to set up a heavy PA gear or to put chairs out or to put the flags outside or to cook meat outside on a hot day. But you know what? We can take such joy in the role we have of blessing others and and be reminded of the, the, the picture of service and humility that we're showing the world as we do it. The way we act, the way we, we interact with each other, the way we serve is a demonstration to the world in miniature of how Jesus loves us and them. So we're to shine with beauty. And the third thing is that we shine together. Do you know the night sky is so stunning largely because of the vast quantity of stars if there was just a big blank sky with one star, yeah, it'd be impressive. But it's not as impressive, is it? There's something about the canopy. There's something about the vastness. The As far as the eye can see, star after star after star. There's too many to even begin to count. That's what we marvel at. There's a beauty in the multitude. And again, I believe that Paul had this in mind. But again, when we think... Where we are in 2019, our connotation of, a, of what is a star, think of a movie star. Star is the one who gets all the, all the glory. Star is the one who's in every shot. He stands out from the rest. And it's, it's you know the star. It's the one person he's supposed to focus on. He's supposed to stand about all, above all the others. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. We're not talking about one individual star standing out as a focal point. As Christians, it's about the, the, the multitude. The vast togetherness, the way we shine together, is what is attractive, and what is countercultural and what shows something magnificent to the world. I remember a friend of mine, a colleague of mine in Leeds, who I worked with, who's still I'm still in touch with. Uh, he's not a Christian, but he's always really fascinated by what I believe. He used to grill me and um, ask me question after question. Um, and a few times he actually came to church and checked it out. And he believes in something, but he just can't quite put a name to it and he can't quite step over that line of commitment but what he said when he came to church always stuck with me, it was just like there's something different about this group of people he said it's, it's, it's like a, a family and the way you guys look after each other, it's just, it's beautiful he said, I've not seen this anywhere else I've not seen the way that you support each other and the way that you um, bless each other and live for each other and care for every need of each other it's different I don't I I, I don't understand it I don't don't know how you do it that's probably what spoke to him most more more than any conversation I could have had with him more than any argument about apologetics or whatever I could have had with him it was the family of God it was the church the body of Christ that spoke to him it was the togetherness the beauty in the multitude as a church the, the church should be an amazing community which people are attracted to. Not because we have one brilliant teacher or preacher or one amazing guitarist or drummer or or because we've got the best coffee and the best tea and coffee team or the best kids work or youth work. It's because we have a community which genuinely loves and serves each other and values one another higher than ourselves and that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what stands out. That's what's obvious to people that's what we're supposed to shine as not on our own but together Jesus himself said in John 13 a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another and by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another that's the way people are going to know by loving one another By being a community together, shining brightly, shining obviously, shining beautifully together. This passage just gets me so excited about church, so excited about the mission we're on together, the family of God. It's not easily done, but we have the Spirit in us to help us to do it. And I believe Paul just wants to create in us just that sense of excitement, that sense of belief and faith that actually this matters. What we do here on a Sunday morning through the week, it matters and it communicates something to the world that needs so badly to hear the truth of God. We're actually going to finish this morning with communion, which is actually the ultimate reminder of sacrificial love, isn't it? As we, as we pause and we take note of what Jesus did, we, we, we physically remember the, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, the ultimate sac- example of sacrificial love. And then we're going to eat together in a barbecue. And I'm just reminded of the early church. They used to, When they used to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, they used, to, they used to call it a love feast. They used to gather together and not just have a bit of bread and wine and go home. They would have a whole meal together. And they would interact with each other. They bless it, They would celebrate together where they were and what they were doing. And, and that's, I kind of wanted to look, as, look today as, as what we're doing. It's not just, not just a bit of barbecue and a bit of food. Of church, but this is a love feast. This is our opportunity as a church just to, to love being with each other, to enjoy each other's company, to bless each other, to minister to one another, to enjoy some food together and to celebrate all that God has done in our lives and all that he has called us to in the body of Christ. I'm just going to read as we finish the words from 1 Corinthians which just remind us what we're, exactly what we're celebrating with the Lord's Supper. This is what Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord God, I thank you. Thank you and thank you and thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you that your body was broken for me, that your blood was shed for me, Lord. I can hardly put into words how that makes me feel. I thank you that you gave us the ultimate example of humility and service, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we just pray for this this family, Lord, this family of God, Lord, that we would in some way emulate that, Lord, that we would live that out, that as we have been saved, Lord, we would work that salvation out and show it to the world in how we interact with each other, Lord, that we would live sacrificial, humble lives. We would live lives we value others more highly than ourselves. And Lord, that we will do that in the power of your spirit and by your grace, Lord God. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness when we get it wrong. And Lord, we thank you that we know we are covered by you, that your grace is sufficient. Lord, that when we do get it wrong, we're not chucked out of the family of God. We don't lose our salvation. You forgive us, Lord. Your grace has covered every mistake. But Lord, help us to just grow in that journey of sanctification, to grow and grow, to be more and more like you, Jesus, and to be more and more a community that speaks to this warped and crooked generation and shows them the beauty and the love of God day by day. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your mighty name. Amen.